Hi and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Chris Skinner, who is the producer of The Bugle podcast, uh, which I regularly co-host on. And uh, we spoke about all sorts of things. What happened was he texted me the other day saying, how much do you talk about exercise on Tea with Alice? And I said, uh, not that much, but I'd love to talk to you about it. And he decided he wanted to talk about his recent hip replacement. So in this episode, we discuss exercise, enforced rest, pain, dignity, aging, vulnerability. There's a lot of running chat. If that's not something you're interested in, this will not be the podcast for you. But I think we talked about some really interesting and um, engaging things So I'm going to plug some things now. Uh, Feel free to skip ahead. This shouldn't be more than four to five minutes. I wanted to say, first of all, thank you to my Patreons uh, who support the podcast. And thank you to you for listening to the podcast and supporting it in other ways. If you are not a Patreon supporter, the tweets or telling friends or leaving reviews, all of that is is wonderful and so helpful and so useful. Thank you, everyone who came to Ethos on Sunday, the filming of Ethos. And to the Patreons who entered the draw to get the free tickets, that was lovely as well. I've been doing some Q&As recently on, on, on the thing and um, that's all been fun. I quite like that. Uh, that's that's really nice. If you were not at Ethos, if you were not at the filming, I'm, or even if you were, I'm hoping that in the next few weeks to a month I should have a product that I can give to you or sell to you or whatever, whatever ends up happening um, with that. That should come out soon. What else do I need to plug? Uh, I will be in Sydney doing uh, Mythos. I'll be in Perth. I'll be in Melbourne in the upcoming months. I have a preview on the 3rd of March at the Tring Festival. And on the 4th of March, I'm doing a split bill with Laura Davis at the Albany uh, where I'll be trying new material. Um, I'm writing this new show now, Mythos. So Ethos is in the bag. Mythos is coming up and it should be... Good. I hope it will be. Uh, I think that's all. Um, I have stuff up on Audible in the UK, in the n- not in the US, in the UK and Australia. If you're outside that geographic zone, I am looking into seeing if I can make that available in other ways. Uh, thank you to Ben Wren, who does the sound editing for this, makes it sound a lot better. I throw him these files that are me recording in loud cafes and he makes them listenable and good. And I am so grateful for that. Uh, as I am grateful to you for listening and to those of you who support the podcast, I cannot express my gratitude enough. Thank you so much. Uh, you're having tea with Alice. I'll see you next week. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, you're having tea with Alice. Do you want to tell people who you are and what you're drinking? Uh, I am uh, Chris Skinner, and I am drinking an English breakfast tea, even though it is, what, about half past four in the afternoon? It is about half past four. You're doing yourself a disservice at this point. In what way? Well, will you be able to sleep? I think so. Um, I'm taking quite strong medication before I go to bed, which I'm sure we'll come to. (laughs) I've never traditionally been a very good sleeper. Um, and I kind of get uh, for me the rule is like six pm these days. Ah, interesting. Like, like, so when I when I um, I used to work in breakfast radio, mm-hmm. where obviously you get up at four in the morning and your life is hell. Yep. And so then it was midday. Yeah. But, but as I've sort of settled into the lifestyle of a of a kind of normal working person, that 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 time has slowly creeped 
like back to six. So I feel I feel fine. I'll probably sleep. The flavour is just better than any other tea when it comes down to it. That's interesting. Oh, okay. So black teas with milk. You know, obviously, I, I, there are there are. Like, I, if this was in a sam, I'd be happy. You know. Uh huh. Well, I'm I'm drinking peppermint tea, but mainly because I had quite a lot of tea earlier in the day, green tea, uh, and um, am sort of full of caffeine in that slightly am I about to have an anxiety attack sort of way because I woke up feeling pretty terrible but did want to go to the gym. Yeah, why? But th- th- isn't, isn't surely sh- I think those are the good days to go to the gym, aren't they? Yeah, well, for me it was... I filmed uh, my show, Ethos, on Sunday, which was back-to-back two allegedly hour-long shows. Uh, But because I was filming them, I put in all of the options. You know, in a a festival, there are extra jokes you'll tell some nights that you don't tell other nights, depending on the vibe of the crowd. So there's probably about 80 minutes of material in the show if I do it with all of the options ticked. Um, partly because I wrote it as a multiple choice show. Well, I was going to ask, like, yeah. what, what, what happened? Are, are you going to make this an interactive, non-linear experience now? Or are you going to cut it down? Yeah. I mean, originally, I had a, I, as with all of my shows, I have very high concepts for them. And then what ends up happening is kind of the minimum viable product of that. <laughs> so I wanted the, the robot in the, the character of Ethos in that show to have options, like a decision tree that it could go down. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wrote it as a longer show and I performed it and then basically performed it immediately afterwards again. Mm. And then the next day I had a six-hour meeting and then emceed Old Rope. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was fun, but one of the acts was... There was a lot of really good acts on. Old Rope is a new material night in London. It gets really, you know, television-level acts great in comedians. Yeah, yeah. to do new material. But there was quite a lot of sort of headliner-level acts on, on Monday night, which meant they all ran long, which is what they do. <laughs> uh, and the night often runs long, but one of the acts was being really impatient and snippy about it. Right which was sort of emotionally, if I'm emceeing, I'm running the night, made me feel quite sort of tense and anxious. Of course. And then by the time I got on the bus on the way home, I was done. Like I was just so wrung out. So I've woken up the last couple of days just feeling overdrawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine that. It's always the same, isn't it? When you come to... it's, It's that horrible feeling that you get after the euphoria of doing something big. Like that, that crashing low that you experience for the two or three days after. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you keep telling yourself, I've, I've done a great thing, I've achieved, I've actually ticked something off genuinely, not just some bullshit like buy an onion. Yeah. You've actually done something and yet you don't feel great about it. And it's yeah. like, what's the point? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't think of it in that way. The way I think of it is like a checking account where I've overdrawn my energy. Okay. And so then I've just got nothing to draw on. Yeah. And weirdly, even though that's when you feel least like going to the gym, the energy that you've lost is mainly emotional and physical kind of uh, working yourself through some physical stuff can kind of bring you back to yourself a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's my, my life is... Um, the last 15 years of my life, Alice, has been um, shit running's cheaper than therapy. <laughs> like, like, and, and, and that's not to belittle people who, like, you know, who have gone through some far more serious shit than me who really needed to have someone, yeah. you know, in, in, in their lives. But, like, the, um, 
you know, nine times out of ten, you know, getting that heart rate up and doing something like even if it is li- quite literally running in a circle, mm. is is just a um, like just an in- an incredible uh, psychological healing as well as physical. I find. Yeah, particularly for people who are very much uh, in our heads. We're both in a sort of a semi-intellectual workplace. You more so than me, but... <laughs> but you need to use your mind a lot and so you you can be, feel a bit dis- disconnected from your body and your body has a huge impact on your life. Uh, it's astonishing to me how many people who I talk to are anxious or depressed and considering therapy or medical intervention who haven't yet tried exercise. Yeah. There's a point at which you are chemically so depressed that you, that's not even an option, yeah. at which point, like, medicine and all of the other things are... Probably a better choice, you know, yeah, yeah. ...vital. Um, but just the, you know, oh, I'm so depressed. Like, Edinburgh Fringe is a perfect example. Two weeks in, people are exhausted and miserable and... I just got drunk again. ...having a nervous <laughs> breakdown. Yeah. And they're like, and you go, oh, what, what's, what's your day been? And they got home off their heads at three o'clock in the morning, woke up at midday, had a strong coffee and uh, fish and chips and then went to do their show and then did three late night shows and then got drunk again for two weeks. Mm. And then you're reading reviews and you've got the highs and lows (laughs) of the show and you're trying to get people in to sell tickets and it's you're suddenly realising how much money you've lost. Like... It's great, isn't it? I love the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> I genuinely do. But yeah, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, I've, I've, you know, the only times I've ever had to be on a stage has been like with, with you and Andy doing the bugle and stuff like. That. So, <laughs> so my experience of it as a performer is mm. incredibly limited compared to yours. Uh, it, I, I, the, the sense I get. So when I when I go up and I see you guys early in August, I see one side of your personalities, mm-hmm. and when I go up, sort of two weeks in almost I mean and, and you go for, it's like the seven stages of grief sort of lived out <laughs> in four weeks yeah I like it I like the challenge of it but then I sort of have a although I'm not running much at the moment I am going to the gym mm. I think I have a similar approach to you when it comes to using exercise as a way of getting out of my head but you texted me the other day and you're yeah. like I want to talk about exercise yeah um Oh, as, as, as you say, it's something we talk about. So, 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 backstory. Yeah, which is the answer to the question I normally ask it around this point of the podcast, which is, what have you been wrestling with recently? You came to it with it to me early. So I'm 39, which is not old. It's older than most people I work with. I'm mean, one of six sickeningly young offices. Uh, old, um, older than most people in human history have gotten to. Yeah, indeed. On the bright yeah, side. Yeah, I know. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I mean, to, to a Neanderthal, I'm an absolute legend. Yeah. And, um, but I... Um, so, so I had a hip replacement just over a month ago. Mm-hmm. So I've got osteoarthritis in my right hip. It's largely genetic, but but a, definitely a little bit exercise. I was a, a, a played a played a lot of sport when I was younger. Never to any high standard. Mm. Um, and so, so it got to a point where I was actually having trouble walking for quite a while, and got offered the opportunity like a few months ago. They said, look. look you're, it was quite quite nice actually. The guy said, "Just look from looking at the X-ray, you're clearly in a lot of pain." I was like, "God, I thought I was." <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, but you don't. You do wonder though, don't you? And like, like I think you know, is there something in my head that's telling me I'm in pain when I'm not so much? And it was no. It was like, no, you've got no cartilage left. You are literally uh, to, to use one of my favourite terms describing it, bone on bone. Oof. And um, so 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 I had a hip replacement, and um, it's been like um. Like a mad month, like the the weirdest month of my adult life, I think. 
and um, so, so obviously I've had a, I've had a few operations in the past. I think most adults, as they get to forty, for whatever reason, um, elective or not, they've had some kind of surgery. Yep. Um, uh, well, obviously you've had your lips filled and, a number uh, of times. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> and what I haven't told you is even more significant. And um, it's uh, it's. Um, so it is something that um, it, I mean. It was, it was, it was much, I mean, I, I have a prosthetic hip now, and I um, have had over a month of quiet time, me, me time. Mm. I, I live my life like, like my professional life is very, very, very busy, and um, it's been like a really rare instance where I've not had any thing to do I've just had sort of time to sit on the sofa in the quiet and that's that's quite a harrowing experience like trapped with your own thoughts and um but on top of that it, it wasn't necessarily quality time because I was on loads of drugs mm-hmm. and you know like the time time passes when you're on morphine it, that, 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 that'd be a lesson it really does um and so so it, so it, it's been a real interesting introspective not necessarily high quality mm. um uh, month of my life where i still can't put my I've, i i currently have painted toenails that my wife and daughter did for shits and giggles which was all well and good but until they decide that they're prepared to unpaint them or whatever it is i've got painted toenails yeah nothing i can do about it i can't change my socks even so it's um so it's been this weird um uh, period of my life where i've been uniquely vulnerable that i've never been before where um um, would, yeah, so, so all these kind of things that I'm I'm not used to being. I, I, I'm in a um, a rehab group for my for my hip. Everyone is double my age. Mm. Like everyone is twice my age. So there's this um, there's just this weird sense of mortality, and like what what the fuck am I doing? Like what what is is this it? Is is this is this my life? I know uh, that when my mum had various um, group things mm. so the ms society did various things and 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 put on events and so on and so forth most of the and then when she was in the cancer ward at, at one point she had psychosis mm. and her kind of physical disabilities combined to mean that the only place in the hospital that was really equipped to deal with her was the dementia ward and she had that feeling i think a lot of being the youngest person in the room yeah, yeah, yeah. and how depressing it is to be in that position of of relative privilege maybe but mm. but being confronted with the fact that everyone around you is is more or less closer to death than you are yeah. i mean not necessarily but that they have had a longer life or they've yeah that that is an odd feeling to have completely it it was it was the first it was the first time in my life well, even though I'm like 30 40 years younger than people it's the first time in my life I've genuinely thought right this is the downward curve now and obviously it's not an even you know you think life expectancy in the UK for a man is probably about 80 mm. I'm quite in, I guess I mean what well, was maybe in, in some aspects of slightly above average, above average health but I expect in my head I've always thought if I live to 80 that's a kind of good thing and I'm like fuck I'm halfway there I've only got one hip now yep. um, I'm hanging out with, with the, the oldies the one You've saving. used up half your life and half your hips. I have. And the, the, the only saving grace, and this is actually this is what sort of brought home the reality of sort of first the first world problems uh, nature of it is, is at least like, no one's flirted with me for ages, and, <laughs> I, and 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 it is so nice. It doesn't matter that they're pushing eighty. It really doesn't. It's just it's just nice to feel loved. Yeah, yeah. And then you, I, I feel like that's a really interesting 
thing when I was maybe a teenage girl and very unpopular at school and thought of myself as very attractive speaking to my grandmother's friends she had a handful of friends who got through the holocaust with her who they made friends during the war and and came out of it on the other end visiting the ones who lived in London and them talking about how the new generation didn't flirt or smile anymore and you see the hysteria about that in the wake of the mm. hashtag Me Too movement, mm. men saying, oh, you're not allowed to flirt with anyone anymore, you're not allowed to smile at anyone in the street anymore. And I feel like that's the wrong lesson to take away from yeah. the whole movement. See, I don't think people flirt with me that much, and I think it's mostly because I'm such an arrogant sod. Yeah. And I'm like, like I'm, not gonna, I'm not even going to bother trying to impress him because he's such an idiot. <laughs> and, and actually, so maybe, maybe it's, um, it, it's not that I'm being flirted with now, because the people are twice my age and it's a novel experience to be around someone a bit younger than them. Yeah. M- maybe, maybe it's the fact that now I appear incredibly vulnerable, the veneer of, of, of like arrogance has now gone and it's maybe a more accessible human being. Yeah, maybe there, there, my, there's my, something about a touch of vulnerability that is very attractive. Yeah, I've become a multidimensional person that, through, my, through my frailties. Yeah. That you might be able to offer something to this person that they don't already have. I was talking to my friend Lucy Howard Taylor about the fact that we were both unattractive teenagers at school. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that as a result, we had to learn how to be very charming yeah. and personable mm. and to turn your attention up to the person you're talking to, like to 110%. You have yeah. to focus on the person you're with. You can't afford affected, you know, disingenuous uh, apathy because you need to maintain their attention. Um, but that when you hit your kind of mid early mid 20s when everyone basically is attractive yeah. uh, or as attractive as they're going to be unless they're ah. one of the very ah. lucky people who ages into more attractiveness that's now, there's your... a t-shirt I want to see like you know it's been sold <laughs> in Camden Market I'm as attractive as I'm going to be as I'm ever going to be it's yeah. all downhill and, and from here and you have to burn that t-shirt when you turn 30 because yeah. <laughs> so, we're fucked now well I've always been confident that I'll age relatively well in part because I have that practice of not being attractive yeah, no 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 okay so look, look this this is this is the thing about the eight so um i uh I, I, I was not a particularly healthy late teen early 20s i did not look after myself at all mm. and so so I, I got to the point i'm in my mid-20s uh, i took up running and i took up playing cricket not the most athletic of sports but i just wanted to get back into being mm-hmm. you know playing some kind of sport and being healthy and it was great you know so well, particularly for men, socially speaking, that's incredibly important. Team sports. Completely, I, I, I really, I really agree. And um, I, so I spent fifteen years driven by the same. Like I, I was just was, was obsessed. Like I'm, I cannot be in a state where I'm absolutely ruined at forty and can't do anything with, with my body anymore, and I'm I'm out of shape and not able to run or do anything. So I, I changed my, I genuinely changed my life. Like mm-hmm. changed my habits, changed my friends, changed. Did the you have I- a come to Jesus moment to make that decision, yes. or was it just a cumulative? I had a panic attack on my twenty fifth birthday on the bus on the way to work. Oh wow! And and had to get off the bus halfway to work. Yeah. And just sit on a bench. What? First of all, do you know what triggered the panic attack? Second of all, what did it feel like? The trigger was probably I'd probably got wasted the night before. Uh huh. Because oh, it was the day before my birthday, so I might as well celebrate your birthday. Yeah, early. and um, I just, rem- I just I remember it so well because my birthday's in May, so it was quite a warm day, and I just remember going from feeling uncomfortable 
to uh, so I've, I've I've had sort of mild panic attacks a number of times in the past, and and just all of a sudden feeling like I couldn't breathe, and I just remember that sort of flickery, staggery, getting down the stairs, just just you know feeling like you know, just about feeling like I can breathe, like like literally that 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 you know. I think for the, for those who maybe experience a panic attack for the first time, a lot of people um, com- compare it to what they think they think they're having a heart attack. It's that kind of like unable to breathe or think type panic. And um, so I just remember just getting down, sweating, getting down the steps of this bus, just getting off it, like like literally, no nowhere near anywhere I knew, and just there being a bench opposite the bus stop and just collapsing on it and just sitting there and slow, slowly getting my breath back and slowly getting my head back in the game and thinking like, God, that was weird. And, um, and again, because you're 25, shrugging it off, 20 minutes later, getting on a bus, going to work, going out, getting drunk that night. <laughs> you know, I think I grew a beard for my 25th. I think, I think it led me to growing a beard. I was like, right, I've got to grow up. And so I think that the beard was a silly, like a slightly silly uh, out there statement that look, I'm, a, I'm an adult now. Yeah. Whereas in, in the background, I was sort of like, you know, trying to find local running clubs and um, signing up for 5Ks and, and the likes. And I mean, it's, you say it's silly, but, you know, sometimes it is a physical external symbol of your commitment to mm. something, you know, getting a new haircut or yeah. changing the way you dress can be a trivial external symbol of something that is going on on the inside. I mean, it was it was very much a conscious, and I think maybe, maybe it's, it's worth if you have a friend who suddenly makes a drastic hair or facial hair change. Maybe we should ask what's going on in their lives. But for me, it was actually very out, very good. Like, it was really clear. I'm an adult. I'm a grown up. I'm growing a beard. Yeah, it was like a stupid thing to do. It probably only lasted a month. And um, I mean, they used that was one of those tips that you'd always see in Cosmo magazine of like if your partner suddenly changes <laughs> yeah. the way they're dressing, maybe they're having an affair yeah, or that's something. It. Maybe maybe they're stumbling off Routemaster buses having a panic because <laughs> they've drunk too much beer. Um, so um, so so I did I did this turnaround in my life, and I was like, I am not going to be that guy who is fucked at forty. I'm not going to be him. And I um, and it was just it was it was such a positive life experience. I have you know um, travelled you know I've gone on holidays that have involved and don't get me wrong, I, I, so I, I didn't I didn't become teetotal i didn't fundamentally you know one of one of the great rewards to me after like a doing a, a really big event was like a lovely great big meal a couple of drinks you know it just what, what i wasn't doing was staying in bars till four in the morning anymore and, mm. um, and then um but ultimately, ultimately and this is where i spent a lot of this time stuck on the sofa in a dozy morphine state going you idiot You've got to forty, and you're fucked. <laughs> and it's like so. It's it's, it's like a, no matter how much you try to change the future, yeah. somehow you were destined. I was always destined to get to forty, barely able to walk. And um, yeah, so so it did lead me to sort of like, was it worth it? Type I thought, and I think ultimately it was totally worth it. Yeah, like I've done great things, and I'm still, even though I'm, I will obviously re- recover in many ways. Um, uh, so I, in many ways, I am so much better off. But it's like, come on, like sure, surely there's there should be uh, like a better, clearer evidence that exercise is good for you. Yeah. Surely, I'm, you know, because you hear those things about people getting sucked into the myth of running, a myth of exercise, and it's just not meant for some people, and so on and so forth. When you can actually change your life by doing five minutes hard work, you know, a day or whatever it is, and I'm like, it's got to be, it's got to be. You know, I, I, am I am I the victim? of Nike's highly skilled advertising campaigns of the last 15 years. <laughs> or, and I've been wasting my time 
or is there is there more than that and we're all just descending into our own deaths whatever we do well i think that's the interesting thing about exercise in that you know the data seems to be quite clear that it does extend your life but that the kind of exercise that you choose is also important that it's the kind of exercise that works for your body type and your disposition because the amount of life it buys you is about as much time as you spend doing the exercise mm. in the first place. So it has to be something that's worth it for its own sake. Yeah. I remember thinking this when I was sort of going through the Buddhist equivalent of a crisis of faith of like, is this the way of living that I would like to follow? Are these the mm. principles I've been brought up with them? They seem like they make sense, but is that just because I've been brought up with them? going, okay, if none of the metaphysical stuff is true, if there is no kind of esoteric benefit to these keeping these precepts mm. and doing this meditation, would it still be worth living in this way of, of you know, generally being non-selfish, generally yeah. uh, not allowing yourself to dwell in negative anger or sadness as, for as, as much as you have control over that? Yeah, with that old that old challenge of like you know where where is morality about religion type yeah. type argument that I think is used by uh, Christians quite a lot. Is, is it overall a good life to live? Right. Yeah. Mm. I think definitely with exercise, part of what's good about it is that it's hard. Yeah, it's the best thing about it. It makes you better at dealing with pain in your everyday life. Mm. I can't tell you um, how much. Uh, maybe it's not for everyone. Like, I think a lot of people relate to. So, so a five k run is not. It's, you know, it's, it's short. You know, it's it's not a hard. Mm. You know, it, okay, it's something that most people, most able-bodied people, can build up to reasonably quickly. Mm. And I, but no, nothing in terms of how I felt at a finish line has made me feel more utterly wrecked than a five k run. Mm. Like, like, you know, I, I could run double many times that distance and I think I've never necessarily crossed the line feeling more utterly wrecked mm. than and that, that that sometimes that feeling that, that sort of because you go quite hard particularly to finish that that feeling of gagging retching sweating heart pounding that only actually lasts a short period of time I almost grew like, like I knew when I was experiencing that at the end of a 5k run, that what was going to follow was a massive euphoric high. Yeah. And that's that, that, that quite weird possibly, but I think I'm, I'm probably one of literally millions of people who is aware of that experience. Yeah. And uh, so, so some, some, I guess, might not own up to it, but that, that feeling when you come through and you see it on people's face when you get you do a park run yeah you see someone cross the finish line they're dripping with sweat they're swearing they feel awful and then they they finally get up from the squatted position they look and this massive smile comes on their face and their eyes open up wide and they you know they they whatever the word the words they they utter are irrelevant they're mm. feeling they feel they now feel brilliant they now feel the best they'll feel that weekend that yeah. day they, 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 and that that feeling is one that I'm obviously now in life gonna struggle to recreate again because even like hard it's weird something specific about running hard exercise doesn't necessarily do it um, uh, it, it was specifically the, the, the process of running it, it, it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the sport it wasn't just the calories burned they've sunk about the uh, the process of running that that created that 
Yes, I think more than many other forms of exercise, you really viscerally feel like you're going somewhere, like you're getting somewhere. Like Even when you're running in circles, you yeah. still feel like you're getting somewhere. Yeah, there's something that's deeply hardwired <laughs> yeah. into us about the process of running that doesn't quite translate to other forms of exercise, even though boxing is equally sort of, if not more, cardio-intensive, yeah, yeah. even though things like cycling, you're travelling a long distance, even things like rowing are harder. They, they look ruined at the end of a rowing oh, race, to be man, fair. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. like a rowing race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to row yeah. until I broke my back or fractured uh, my uh, fourth and fifth. It's going to affect your performance, isn't it? Yeah. No. Well, that was an interesting thing because you were—you mentioned the pain of being injured. Mm. I remember up until that point, um, I've been thinking about this this weekend because I'm trying to write up some stuff for this book about my mum. Uh, my mum had some really bad depression when I was in my teens, which I remember feeling vaguely resentful of because it was surely my job or opportunity to have tantrums <laughs> and that just wasn't an option for me in my teens uh, for her for her was it was it linked to everything else she was going through it must it, have it been. was linked to coming up on having had uh, this illness for yeah. longer than she yeah. hadn't had it yeah, yeah yeah um it was uh yeah there's just that process of mm. feeling like you've gone through most of your mm. life or it's all downhill mm. from here or whatever it happens I'm sure it was chemical as well I don't know what mm. parts of her brain were shorting out mm. from the MS at that time but it manifested as uh, what we called the negator which was anytime you said anything she would take the worst Yeah, yeah. Oh, she would God. take it as a criticism or the worst possible interpretation she was never mean she was just no, upset I know, I, know, I know that reaction yeah, um, yeah. And I sort of remember thinking, ugh, it's not fair. I should be able to have that. I should be able to be the one that was like, you can't tell me what to do, and storming out of the room. And that just never happened in my teens because it wasn't, mm. you can't have everyone doing that, you know. <laughs> you naturally balance yeah. out against the people who you're a, a around. A family soap opera needs certain characters yes. to, to still remain in the, it, in the soap opera's pub. Every group requires certain <laughs> figures. Yeah. If you get four hopeless idiots together, one of them will become the wise man. Yeah. Yeah. One of them will be the calming voice. One of them will be the tantrum habit. But uh, I remember when I hurt my back and was in pain for, you know, an extended period of time, how inward looking it made me, how much I was focused on my own pain. Of course. And realising how incredibly heroic it was that mum was as nice as she was, mm. that she was never mean. She was only ever upset. Yeah having been in pain for decades. Yeah, yeah. And there's something of the, um, the, the first world nature of, first world problem nature of a, of a sports injury or someone <laughs> moaning that they can't run anymore compared to you know, some, someone who has a lifelong debilitating yeah. condition. Uh, um, I, I think, I think the, 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 the issue with me has almost been I've like when when you go into a dark place, you allow yourself to think like, oh, well, this is this is me, this is me done for now. Like mm. I'm actually, this is more than a sports injury. Like I'm, I'm not going to have to walk when I'm sixty. Yeah. And then like part of you thinks, sharp, push you are, yeah. push you are. You know, and it's um, it, it's really it's really hard to dis. It's really hard, particularly when you're feeling down, mm. to make an accurate assessment of, am I being silly? 
and I should just snap out of this. Yeah. And and no, actually, you, this is justifiable. Just you know, go with it. Trust you'll be, you'll you'll end up coming through fine. And yeah. it's like so. So when you, when you are, as I as I have often been, you know, you, you've you've seen the photo of my ass. Mm-hmm. Um, so so when you are massively, uh, you know, in, in a a bad way because of surgery and the drugs that you want as a result of that it's really hard to objectively go um no it's fine to feel bad i know i'll get through this yeah or um or to accept actually no fundamentally this is a significant changing point in my life yeah and dividing those two things from each but i think actually weirdly that is one of the things that running or any kind of exercise is best at doing is giving you the equipment to go, this is painful, but I know I can get through mm. it because you've deliberately brought yourself into like mm. conditions of pain for benefit. Yeah. That there is a, it, it trains you to realize that there is an end to pain um, if you are indeed not suffering from a chronic pain illness. But does this mean you won't be able to run ever again or what's the deal? I, I know, I, 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 I've been told I can run for a bus. Okay, and that's it. Yeah, so so which is which is um basically so I, I think I will I would physically be able to do it again, mm. but uh, you know um I don't want to have multiple replacements, and um I, I will, I'll already have to have my left one done at some point, mm-hmm. and every every replacement they have to do obviously they they, they 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 without going into too much detail so they 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 chop off the end of the femoral. Am I got the right bone? Yeah, your, your femoral head, mm-hmm. and then replace it with like a, a fake thing, and it drills straight through into the femur, like into the top of that leg bone. Ooh. And yeah, and so obviously replacing that and then putting something every time they do that, it's worse. Mm. So I, I, I could I could attempt to start doing that again, but the um, uh, but I think the con- the long term consequences of it would be if I was told that the world is ending in five years time. You'd run every day. I'd start day. running. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but it's, I don't think, is it? Is it? Quite possibly. Oh, shit, it is, isn't it? So start running. I mean, the other thing is, you know, all of this surgery stuff advances quite quickly. Soon they'll be able to just shoot mm. a hip at you from across the room. And, and then I'm in. Then, then, <laughs> then I'm all on board. Then I'm all on board. I'm setting new PBs. But, you know, like, so, 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 no, I, I have to find. This, this, this is my challenge now. Mm. I have to find a new kick. I have to find something new that makes me feel great. So, because I, I go, so I, you know, I, 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 I have other hobbies, other sports, other interests that I do, but none, none quite give me that kick. Like when I went up, you know, the, the, the running thing has been a problem for a couple of years now. So I started cycling. I started cycling long distances and swimming a lot more. It's fun. It's not the same. It's not the same. Um, have you? Uh, in terms of giving unsolicited advice, have you ever done any <laughs> martial arts? No. Because. But I think kicking. Well, again, it would have to be one that doesn't necessarily involve much. Well, kicking. the thing that I was thinking of would be uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu. Okay. Because it's no impact. Okay, yeah. I know people who were really into boxing who've gone to Brazilian jiu-jitsu because they didn't want the head trauma. Oh, yeah. Okay. And they realised that training was never going to be enough, that they needed the. Mm the particular adrenaline rush of sparring and and competitive fights that there's something um and maybe particularly for men that's a very strong speculation but that there's something 
properly kind of satisfying yeah. about yeah. fighting. I don't really like the idea of fighting. You, I mean, many of the most peaceful men I know are really into... Into fighting. Into fighting. So, <laughs> I mean, so weirdly, I actually quite like arguing with people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm massively chippy, but don't like the actual idea of fighting. Well... Um, I, I kind of... I get your, it's, so, okay, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing your suggestion. Mm. I, like, I think I, I do need to... I do need to, to take myself into a place where I think most people, as they hit 40, don't start new things unless it's like... Crown green bowls or some. <laughs> what, what else do old people do? I don't know. Um, so, so I, this is the thing. I, I, if I'm going to be happy in life now, I need to find some new shit. I will go with you to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu beginners okay. class. But can you do already do it though? No, like, you're no. You're just going to beat the shit I out can, of me. Is no. this what this is? The way that I've done Brazilian jiu-jitsu is having my brother go. Hey, can I try a choke on you? Um, <laughs> So uh, there is one literally around the corner okay. from here and we can go along and, and try one class together and okay. then maybe I'm talk again on the podcast, see how it works. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I mean, I, that, that's the thing. I, and I think, I think if it was something I really wanted to do, mm. I'd have done it by now. Mm. So I think I have to just try loads of things that, that I don't necessarily think of. I, I think the, the experience is what's going to tell me how much I enjoy doing it really yeah. um, because all I've, I've, I've done all the sports that I knew I wanted to do yeah so now I've got to discuss I've got to try and find pleasure from one of the ones I hadn't bothered to do yeah or that never occurred to you to do yeah and I, I think I, I like I like so to go back to that, so I don't like the idea of someone punching choking or kicking me mm. think call me call me weird don't like that idea <laughs> but but I do um but I do like competition. Yeah. And um, so about something like dancing. Yeah, that's interesting. We um, so I, 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 a little aside. It's my tenth wedding anniversary this week. Happy wedding and, anniversary! Uh, thank you, thank you. Very, very exciting. Well done, you keeping we, her on board. We made it. Yeah. And, and, and what is the average length of a marriage? Like, we've got to be getting it's like close a year. To, yeah. So I think maybe oh, no. we are, maybe we are already better than average. <laughs> well done. Um. So. Uh, uh, I've completely lost my train of thought now. Wedding anniversary, dancing. Yeah, so, uh, so, 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 ten years ago, mm. we were. Um, I was so scared about that dance, like that, that first dance. I don't. Know, uh, why, why didn't we? And I guess this is because we we're in our twenties. Maybe we were like, um, we just felt obliged that we should mm. do a first dance. Mm. I think they were, they, we were aware of a certain amount, even though we, we largely did our wedding on our own terms. But that dance like properly shitted me up. I was really, really stressed about it. And mm. um, uh, so we actually got some guy to come round, a professional professional dancer, I guess. And um, so just the, some dude off the street some dude with off the, a some swing dude in his hips. I tell you, he did have a swing in his <laughs> hips as well. And um, so he came round like, a week or two weeks before our wedding, and and we did like a two or three hour dance class with him we, we played him the song mm. he had a little thing and it was, it was like a bit, bit, sounds a bit difficult for, uh, for for somebody who can't dance but we'll have a go and then um, every evening we practiced our our moves mm. and we, so we worked that's so what we'll do is if we can just last 90 seconds to two minutes doing this and then we can just usher people onto the dance floor to join us and 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 so so I enjoyed that. That was good. Yeah. It was. I mean, it was the what I liked actually about it was the um, the the the, the, the uh, having something to practice every evening and remembering your steps and getting better. Um, 
didn't necessarily enjoy the actual doing it in front of a whole room. The full performance of element of it, yeah. But I did enjoy it more than if we hadn't done it. Yeah, okay. So so it was it was the right it was the right decision. Um and again, because I like competition so so I guess the upside to that is competitive dancing. That's a thing, isn't it? Competitive yes. dancing. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, I guess uh, that's what the whole strictly thing is, isn't it? That's competitive. Yes. Yeah. Salsa dancing, dancing and yeah. so on and so forth. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, maybe. It's not the same as running, though, is it? No. It's not the same as, like, almost puking when you've knocked one second off your PB. <laughs> but you managed to set somehow of your, when you had a hangover and you've got no idea how you did it. Oh, man, I remember a training session with Lucy Polkinghorn, who was so beautiful, she stopped traffic on our long runs. Yeah. She was incredibly beautiful, incredibly sweet la- lady. We didn't know where she was running if she was doing that, though. She, I mean, <laughs> we, we, would, we would do these long runs together, and I'd tell her the, the plots of romance novels that I was yeah. using to write my master's. Um, and uh, she, won, she was such a good runner. And one day I started beating her. In this session, it was an 800-meter session, mm. a hill session. So you'd run up this. It's like 300 meters up a hill mm. and then 50 meters down a hill and then on a flat mm. uh, the rest of the way. And I was beating her. And I was like, I'm amazing. I've gotten so much better. And then she was puking behind a bush. And I was like, oh, she's hungover. Uh, yeah, or pregnant. <laughs> it was hungover, okay, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah. That was it was such a high until I noticed that she wasn't well. I mean, you like they they say about with all these sports that it's, it's it's you against yourself. Yeah. Actually, and so so whilst it can really help to be surrounded by all these other people, these can help you be the best you you can be. Yeah. It's all about uh, you against yourself, and then you see someone you know twenty meters ahead of you, and that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I'm gonna catch that bastard. I mean, my race f- plan's going out the window now. The first marathon I ever ran, and and all of this is in the context of I don't really run anymore. Um, because it's hard to have a routine when I when you travel as much as I do, and I'm very bad at being self-motivated. I like being in a squad. Uh, but the first marathon I ever run, because it was the first one I'd ever run, I started right up the back. Yeah. Which meant that the whole way, and it was the London Marathon, the whole way there was someone to pass mm. just ahead of me, mm. and that made it so easy. Mm. That made it, and I don't think of myself as a particularly competitive person, but just being like that person, I'm going to get past that person. How did you, how, when you were doing sport, mm. did you feel about when you saw someone ahead of you who looked older, less healthy than you? Did you, did, did, did you ever, did you ever have a thought about those people? No, I had the opposite experience because I started very, very unfit and I was in a squad with people mm. who were at the top of their game, uh, in the top 10 in the country over their respective distances. I, for the first six months that I was in the squad, their warm-up was my session (laughs) and they were still ahead of me. Like I was very used to being the back of the pack. The first races I ever ran, my only goal was not to get the pity clap. That I knew I would finish last, but I didn't want to finish so far last that I got a round of applause where they're like, oh, nice for trying. You know, you don't want to be... So I, I only ever had the experience of getting better. Mm. And maybe that's why I don't want to run now because I know that I would have to kind of start again mm. from a perspective of knowing that I can be better rather than being surprised at every step forward that I make. And that's, that's, that shows that you're a better person than me because <laughs> I am, I, I, I'll quite happily admit, I um, clearly judged people. when I, And if I saw someone who I thought 
outwardly, I don't know how healthy I looked when I was running, but if I saw someone who I thought, oh my God, they look in worse nick than me and they're running faster than me, I would be, um, oh, I have to overtake that person. Uh-huh. Like I have, th- th- there is some unbalanced about the world here. <laughs> if this person who looks like 10 years older than me and slightly portly. And I, there, there, was, there was one run I did don't get me wrong. I'll I'll judge technique under my breath. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, I'll be I, like, drop your shoulders, mate. I won't yeah. say it to them, but in my head, exactly. And all, maybe possibly to the person I'm walking with is like, relax, relax through your hips. I always thought I had really good running technique. Yeah. So I would be like, when I saw someone with bad technique, mm. I'd be like, yeah, but they probably haven't had to have major hip surgery. <laughs> so where does technique get you? But um, I remember. So there was there was one guy who um, uh, I saw in a run once. And he looked uh, quite chunky mm. and um, 15, 20 years older than me. Mm. So I'm going to keep up with this guy. I didn't know he'd run a sub two hour 30 marathon uh-huh. and could still, like, and I was, and it, it was, it was so amazing. It was so amazing to watch this guy because he was carrying timber for want of a better term. You know, he was a, he was a big, big guy, but he was like, he was so fast. And that sort of taught me a really important lesson, actually. About not judging by appearance. Yeah, completely. There's a a fascinating phenomenon that happens in running um, with young women, and it's called the female athlete triad, or ironically enough, (coughs) FAT, uh, F-A-T. And it's where at a certain age, when you're young particularly, the lighter you are, the faster you are. Mm. So they're either girls who start running before puberty... Mm and then suddenly start getting this extra Mm. timber. Or they are girls who, like me, start when they're in their early 20s. And then at that point, the lighter you get, the faster you get, and the lighter you get, the faster you get, and the lighter you get, the faster you get, Mm. and the more you run, the lighter you get. Up until you get stress fractures, lose your period, Mm. and mineral deficiencies. Mm. Um because uh, iron deficiencies because you're not eating enough yeah and you see that in young female athletes so much and it's really devastating to watch because they are heading towards the top of their game and they just have slightly the wrong idea about how to get there yeah about how much rest to take and how much to look after themselves and how much food they need to eat to maintain that level of performance and that they'd be better off being two kilograms heavier and running for another six years than what happens, which yeah. is they lose those two kilograms and then they go on a long run and their foot snaps. Yeah. And then they never run again. I've, I've, I've seen so much, like, again, like, like you, I've been, been part of uh, uh, sort of racing squads and uh, I think w- with men, the side effects has, has been less obvious other than some guys you can't quite understand why they keep getting injured. Mm. <coughs> Well, with some of the girls, I guess, you know, some of the obvious thing is like the, the conception thing. Like some, some of them are, are just can't have kids. Mm. And, 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 you know, I'm sure it's not the case in all instances, but, but it's, you know, it's quite clearly documented how some people are so super fit, but yet they can't, um, they've got themselves into a position where actually, you know, they have stopped having their periods and they are like, so if they want to have kids, there was, there was a, a really elite triathlete and I, I, I won't say the name because I'm, I'm not 100% sure it was this one, but she was asked when she retired, she won, won a number of championships, she was asked, you know, do you want to stay in her family? And she sort of admitted that she was going to have to spend a period of time living a normal lifestyle 
so as certain things would come back into her life. Yeah. Just so as she would be able to have a family. And that is, like, to push yourself that far is in some ways really relatable. Mm. And going going back to the, why do you get yourself in a position where you are literally, the best thing you are trying to do to yourself that day is make yourself come that close to being sick. Yeah. It's part of that same thought well, process. Well, it, that's a two-pronged thing. One is that your body reads all stress as the same thing. Yeah. You, your body responds to physical stress and mental stress yeah. in the same way. And at a certain level of stress, women's bodies will say, there's, there's a mm. famine on, there's a war on, it's not a great idea to have <laughs> yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the other side of it is, is you do need to be carrying a certain amount of fat as a, as mm. a woman if you want to make a baby that's healthy. Yeah. Um, Tough life choices we make. Yeah. Like, like do, do you do... You do me version one and just drink and smoke and have a party and expect to get to 40 ruined mm. or do you do me version two and live a really healthy lifestyle get to 40 still couple still be ruined well i mean which one really do you, do you prefer oh definitely the second yeah and actually you know, to, i think one, one of the things i really conscious I, I as i said i was quite happy to have the occasional blowout and uh you know if 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 I had run a marathon and wanted to eat the entire menu, I, I was going to do it mm. quite quite happily. Mm. And uh, and I wasn't one of those... So when I got in, finally got into cycling, I was not one of those guys who was like, if I don't drop two kilos, I'm not going to be able to get up that hill. That was never me. Yeah. I was like, I just, you know, I'd do the best I can. Well, for me, it was always uh, about functionality more than body image um, <laughs> because uh, probably as a result of, of my mum being sick, I, I felt kind of obsessively that my body needed to be as functional as possible at all times um, and that I needed to have control over mm. that. But I also had the quite nice experience of being the fattest person in my running squad and the thinnest person at the theatre club. <laughs> Well, this is it, of course. So, so you know, I, I, I've been in exactly the same situation. I was surrounded by these, like, Not beautiful, voluptuous the yeah. theatre girls, <laughs> yeah. and I was never going to be as curvaceous as them. And then I'd go to the running squad, and there'd yeah. be these wisp-thin, bird-boned yeah. young ladies who were flying, yeah. and I was always felt like the heavy just, you just needed You needed the all-female casting of Chariots of Fire. You were perfect for it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the role. That's, that's your yeah, dream role. That's my dream role, man. Yeah, yeah. It's um yeah it's uh it's uh, a, a tough one to can I, can I ask you a question? I don't yes. know how much more time we have. But yeah, I, we I have about you, ten like, minutes. I get the impression from you that you are um someone who is much more comfortable with quiet than I am. Like you 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 ooze. Um, you you seem absolutely. And forgive me if I'm totally wrong. You seem very comfortable in quiet, and whereas I am like perpetually surrounded by noise like I have I have to fill my life with noise and so so in, so in the last you know obviously podcasting is, is my life what, what I've spent my entire life since 2004 doing and um, uh, um, I couldn't even listen to a podcast because I felt so off colour and wasted like I said I had I had my own thoughts but not not they were muddy thoughts mm. and um on drugs, in pain. Yeah, completely. Couldn't focus. I would put a TV show on, couldn't focus on it. Put the radio on, couldn't focus on it. Just 
try and read a book to a cross so I couldn't focus on it. And that's a devastating and thing if your body's not working to have your mind also completely. not working. And, and, and so, so what I found myself having to do quite often was just do nothing. Mm. And that, that was the worst, the worst thing in the world. So I think you, I could be totally wrong, I think you cope better in that situation. Is that fair? Possibly. I'm not great at doing nothing. But I am decent at quiet. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I I don't really remember what it was like when I was laid up with my back, other than that I decided I was going to be a, a romantic invalid novelist uh, at 17. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just be Rosemary Sutcliffe and write <laughs> books from bed and <laughs> all of that. Uh, but I, yeah, I think I usually find something to do but it doesn't have to be volume. Yeah. <laughs> I did a jig... You know, the only thing I could do was a jigsaw. There you go. Yeah, drawing maybe, jigsaw. Yeah, I'm not very good at drawing. Yeah, I did a, I did a thousand pieces. You don't need to be good at drawing. Okay, yeah, you're true, you're true. Um, this I, is your competitive spirit. Yeah, it is. I, I, don't, I don't really... So, so Sewing I, something, knitting something. Yeah, not very good at that as well. And again, I have a daughter, and the hardest thing I found about parenting has not been like the sleeplessness or the, you know, the, the million things you worry about as a parent. Hardest thing for me about being a parent has been drawing with, her, with my daughter. <laughs> like trying to do passable drawing. She is nearly five and can already draw almost as well as I can. <laughs> and that's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fine with You've that. Gotta stay one step ahead, man. Oh, no. So I actually, I actually now... She's the big dude in front of you in the race. <laughs> you need to... That's it. I've got, I've got to catch that dude. And um, but I go on YouTube now, and I actually, uh, I, I don't know where we're going. I actually go, and I learn how to draw. I do YouTube, learn how to draw videos now. That makes me so happy. You and have no idea how happy that makes. I can me. do. So when I see it in front of me, I can now draw a lion. I couldn't just <gasps> draw you a lion now. Yeah. But but when I see it in front of me and I see the person draw it, I can do it. And that is the only way I can keep up with a four and a half year old child. <laughs> <laughs> is to do homework. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing I've heard all day. Uh, where can people find you online, Chris? Uh, TheBuglePodcast.com is probably the best way. It's a popular podcast. Uh, we, need, we need you to donate. Oh, yes. You're about to start the independent launch of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we're like, literally, we, we just decided. Um, we, we've, we're having, clearly, both Andy and I are having a midlife crisis and have decided to just jack in dealing with people and just yep. no longer and, in a podcast um, network uh, out so, on your own yeah we know some tips we you know what actually we live or die if people like it or no actually if people like it we're done for <laughs> if people love it we'll be fine yeah and if they don't we're done for um but also i i, I, I make podcasts for a company called something else including uh one that's very popular with david tennant uh, which for fans of fantasy and sci-fi, as I know you are too, yes. Alice, we've literally got, we've got the doctor talking to Gandalf. Yeah. We've got the doctor talking to another doctor. We've got the doctor talking to Jessica Jones. It's, all, it's, all, it's like, it's, it's, for me, like professionally, it's just like a beautiful nerd out experience. I am interested in listening to it. I have some issues. First of oh, all. Oh yeah, okay, come on. First of all, with famous people <laughs> who have careers doing podcasts. Yeah, why? Why, podcasts, why, why? why is that a problem when people who aren't famous can do one? Because it's, it's for the people who it's, can't get past the gatekeepers. No, 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 that, that's what you say. That's not a rule. I'm, that's I'm not, not saying a it's a rule. I'm saying this is my conflict okay. here. I'm okay, not fine. saying that... Uh, and I'd be l very fascinated to hear what David Tennant has to say, particularly as an actor, you don't necessarily get to have your own voice. No. Uh, so it is a nice thing for him. Mm. The second issue I have is I hear he opens with uh, What Are You Drinking?, no, he has. 
He op- so, so we deliberately open, so we have the mics rolling mm-hmm. and we just open with the opening conversation that they're having. All right. So, so there has been conversation about people having a drink. All there right. has been conversations about the art on the walls or All a plant right. in the corner of the room. Alice, we would never steal from you. Okay. I mean, you're welcome to, but I want credit. And uh, I promise, we w- I, promise I would credit you. I okay, have. God, blimey. How many? <laughs> the th- there's only three. Okay. Uh, three is the magic. The third issue I have is why am I not on it? Um, he hasn't asked me to book you yet, but that's maybe because <laughs> he hasn't heard the show. Uh, that's true. I hear he's heard the bugle. He has heard of the bugle. Mm. He tells me he's heard of the bugle. I believe him. He's a nice man. All he right. is a nice man. He, but he might be so nice that he'd lie to you. No, because he saw Andy once mm. and said, love your show. Ah. I'll ask him. I should ask him. Ask him. I will. Get him on the bugle. Yeah. Could do that. Why not? I mean, he might not want to do it. I mean, he's not like the thing. What's his so, what's so, his so actually, to, 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 I, so, so the reason is so. So your your, your problem with say celebrities doing this medium is is one thing. I, I would well, actually it's not, not a problem. I am always more sort of confused. Wary of it. Okay, but um. So so what he what he isn't mm. is a comedian. He's like don't get me wrong. He's lovely. He's a really great interviewer. I genuinely think and because he's. Because of his professional closeness to some of the people he's talking to, I think he can get answers that a journalist wouldn't mm. otherwise get. I think that's one of the really important selling he's points. He's not the enemy. No, very much so. Um, but they, tr- they trust him so he can probe in different ways that might cause other people to, to shut down. Mm. Um, but he's not a stand-up comedian. Mm. And so, so that actually, so I, I take a point to a certain extent. Is when you start getting people who are skilled in one thing and then they go, like a, a singer goes, oh, I'm just going to act. Have you ever acted before? No, 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 no. But of course I can because I'm a big personality. I, that, that for me, I kind of buy into that. Yeah, I feel maybe the, maybe the issue I have to articulate it or the conflict I have, because it's not quite an issue. I don't dislike it, but mm. it makes me uncomfortable. This is a little bit like the mainstreaming of nerd culture where you go, but cool people can't take this from us. It's the only <laughs> thing we had. <laughs> You know, that, that, that why doesn't he do a radio show? Mm. And, of course, there's a million answers to that. The podcasts give you more freedom. They give you more time. They give you more uh, fewer gatekeepers. You don't have to do what pleases anyone else. You can do yeah. what pleases you. But, yeah, as somebody who can't get a radio show if I want one, knowing that he could walk in to the BBC and say, I want a radio show, and they say, what, what three hours of every morning do you want? Mm. You can get a radio show, Alex. You and your international audience following you in your global program, <laughs> you undersell yourself. Hasn't happened so far, so... Uh, but yeah, I, I feel vaguely... Uh, yeah, confronted maybe by it when popular people start podcasts. I, I, I hear that. I think I, as a, as a producer, mm. I listen to... Like, does, does, will someone put their headphones on for an hour and love it? Yeah. That's all that motivates me. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure, like, this conflict, I feel, is also, I know that that's not a justified position. That is the position of a, of a, a dude at Comic-Con being like, why is there a hot girl at Comic-Con? <laughs> you know, because people like doing yeah. interesting things. And sure, you should turn around to him and say, stop, stop judging her for her physical appearance. Yeah. And actually, why don't you actually call her out for the fact that she's w- mixing the wrong era cape <laughs> with, with the different era costume. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's the way yeah, you should be calling she, out. Yeah. If that, you're calling out a girl at Comic-Con, that's the reason. But she thinks Next Generation is better than D-Stace <laughs> 9. What a monster. Yeah. 
Oh, um, yeah, he, he mixes it up with Whoopi Goldberg's in Star Trek as well, which I quite like. Doctor Who in Star Trek. Yes. Listen to the show. Yeah, you absolutely should. Um, thank you so much for having tea with me. Thank you. Now finish the brownie.